This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Friday, July 30th. It is about 1020 in Chicago, and the trade deadline is over. And we have uh, a lot to talk about, folks. And when we headed toward the trade deadline, I reiterated many times that we would get through this together. And I hope out there you are holding it together. And Brendan and I are here to do our best (laughs) to offer some thoughts on what transpired on today, Friday, July 30th, in Brennan, what will go down as one of the most, one way or the other, impactful days in probably the history of the Chicago Cubs organization. Uh, the Cubs start things off by trading Craig Kimbrell this morning. Of course, if you listened to our episode yesterday, you know that they already traded Anthony Rizzo to the New York Yankees, a sentence that still feels absurd coming out of my mouth. Uh, And the day proceeded with uh, the basic entirety of the core from the 2016 World Series team being sent off by President of Baseball Operations Jed Hoyer. Craig Kimbrell traded to the White Sox, and what followed was Chris Bryant being traded to the San Francisco Giants and Javier Baez being traded to the New York Mets. Jake Marisnik also goes in a deal today, so a ton of moves. And uh, before I bring Brendan in here and we kind of get into this, I do want to reiterate that at some point, probably next week, we will talk uh, with one of the prospect minds from the Cubs blog and Twitter sphere, break down these returns, break down where the Cubs system is at now, and, you know, dig a little more into that direction for the future. Um, We'll talk about some of that tonight. We'll talk about Jed Hoyer's comments and kind of the direction that he laid out talking to Cole Wright on the Marquee Network, but we have to talk about the finality of today, and it is a surreal place to be, Brendan. I think we kind of expected some of it, Um, but admittedly, I'm pretty shocked, even sitting here today, uh, that all three of Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Javi Baez were all traded. I I expected one of them to survive, and whether they would get extended or not, I wasn't sure, but I, I was pretty shocked when it appeared that Jed had very clearly picked a direction, and I think you knew that once Rizzo was gone, um, but that that train got rolling and it was not going to stop on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is my nightmare, like doing these podcasts, uh, talking about this. I, I don't know. I mean, like going into the season, we knew this was a possibility. I was blindsided by Rizzo being dealt, at least accepted the possibility of Javi being dealt. And of course, KB, we've been prepared for this for a few years, but uh, it sucks, man. You know, when I was living in Arizona for a decent amount of time there, uh, you know, I saw Chris Bryant in the AFL. I saw Rizzo in his first spring training game with the Cubs. I saw you know, all these guys play in Finch Park before they move to the new spring training complex. Um, so it's a it's a it's it's bizarre to me to be watching the game tonight and 
not seen any of them to see David Ross in the dugout and not seen, you know, Rizzo, Javi, KB, none of them. So I don't know, man. It's, um, it's, it sucks. I think I'm still hung up on, on, on the Rizzo thing, to be quite honest with you. The, the, the Chris Bryant thing, I gave myself some, some, some weeks there to, to prepare for that. Really years. And, yeah. And, you know, just rumors wise. Yeah. I mean, it's always, listen, when you're, when you're told that this is a possibility, like some, some, some deep part of your brain doesn't accept that. I thought maybe, maybe he'd survive and uh, an extension in a weird universe would happen. I, 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 I don't know, but, uh, this is it. This is where we are. We have no choice but to look forward, but it's going to take a minute. Man, I'm not going to lie. It's, I spent uh, a decade, quite literally a decade, uh, uh, monitoring these guys like an insane human being, trying to see if their their development would be consistent. I, I remember drafting Chris Bryant and seeing this, his name being called and wondering, like, crap, like, is, can this guy hit curveballs? I'm a little worried about his weight transfer. And this is like 2013, and sure enough, he was, you know, crazy against curveballs and to have his dad and Henny coach on his podcast multiple times and talk to him about his changes and just the work ethic behind Chris Bryant is like, man, it's it sucks from a fan's point of view to be to be going through this. Um, I don't know. That was the best era of our Cubs fans' lives. I just hope that we get something similar in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's ultimately what stands out today. I, I'm kind of like you. Um, I I've been. I, look, I, I'll make no, uh, you know, I'm not going to pretend anything. I'm a 30-year-old man that spent the majority of the last two days in tears at various points of the day. Um, but like you, the the Rizzo thing being first almost prepared me for this in a way mm. uh, that I wasn't necessarily expecting because I, I think of anyone that you just sort of expected to survive and um, e- even if the team wasn't planning on being competitive next year, like he would just be the figurehead, right? Forever. Yeah. Um, so I think that Band-Aid being ripped first almost made this a little easier or at least just sort of set you up for like, that seemed like the unthinkable. So anything else was just like, well, yeah, right? Well, like we they knew traded Anthony happen. Rizzo. Like, of course they might trade right. these other guys, you know? You'd be delusional not to think <sighs> so. Um but it's, you know, not only is it saying farewell to these guys individually, and we talked a lot about Anthony in the episode that we did on Thursday night. Um, so, you know, if you haven't heard that yet, that's that's in the Cubs-related podcast feed as well. Um, and and we, we will talk about saying farewell to Javi and KB in this episode, in addition to the stuff I already mentioned. Um, but you know, we're we're also like really effectively this time. We've seen the bits and pieces of it coming over the years, right? With uh, you know, Lester leaving, Theo leaving, things like that. Um Len Casper leaving. <laughs> right, yeah. And you know, Ben Ben Zobrist uh leaving oh, baseball, disaster. Dexter Fowler dis- moving on. A complete disaster. This is unbelievable. But today is the like official Goodbye. Closing of the book on that era of Cubs baseball. You know, of course, Kyle Hendricks was a part of those teams. Wilson Contreras was a part of the the 2016 team. So there are still uh, members and remnants of that era. But the the golden era of Chicago Cubs baseball was defined 
by these three players uh, more than anyone else in Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez, and they are all moved on consecutive days. So it is uh, not only a farewell to these three players, but, you know, a real farewell to that specific era and version of Chicago Cubs baseball that we have uh, kind of just become accustomed to and and grown to obviously love. And it's, it's a weird feeling, Brendan, uh, you know, to be so, and I don't want, I, you know, I don't know if I even want to say quickly, because, you know, at this point, it's, uh, you know, six years removed from 2015 and whatnot, but it, it still feels quick, nonetheless, um, to just be sort of like completely moved on from from that in in a lot of respects and um you know i think we can you know we I, we don't have to like eulogize or whatever the entire era and and things like that um well there's nothing left but, yeah <laughs> I but mean, this it, is it, it this is a, not a eulogy what is they're all gone Corey. yeah <laughs> it, it it was just a a wildly the the thing that will always remain for me is that this was a wildly, obviously, successful era of baseball, and this group accomplished what they set out to do, what they dreamed to do, and what we all asked of them. And I know that, you know, there's some, especially in the media, talking heads and things like that, that always like to ask the question of, should they have won more? Was it a disappointment that they only won one World Series, that they only appeared in one World Series? And I think all of our answer is that, of course, you want more. I wish they won the World Series every year. But looking at things from a realistic perspective and looking at the way other teams perform and whether they have won multiple World Series, you know, my answer is unequivocally no. Uh, this team consistently won. They consistently made the playoffs, and they delivered on perhaps one of the most difficult championships to deliver in sports history. And so while I think we all would have liked more, while I think the front office and ownership could have done more in the latter years to supplement this group to perhaps get another one or have a better chance at another one. I I will never look back on on this era, this core, this whatever you want to define it as is anything other than uh an outright success. Yeah. And it's it's just wild to be uh you know, sort of really like closing that book, right? As I said, we've kind of had those little trickles of of heading toward that, and, and we knew it was coming. We've had the articles written about the comparison to the last dance and, and things like that with the Chicago Bulls. But Thursday and Friday um, of July 2021 is, is like the real mm-hmm. official, this is over, the page has been turned, this is the Jed Hoyer era with a... Uh, you know, a pretty wildly different crop of players, uh, perhaps we'll see in the future, led by someone like Wilson Contreras to kind of bridge that gap a little bit. But it's it's over, man. Yeah, it's it's over. I I don't know. I still think in some weird way, and this is not with you know Javi or or KB, but I, I, like I said last night, I, I just cannot accept them moving on from, from Rizzo. I, 
They have so much prospect currency, and this is not my words to describe them. This is what Jed Hoyer said tonight. They have so much prospect currency and $150 million plus of payroll that they want to be competitive, even paying Rizzo $100 million, whatever it ends up being, to be a complimentary player seems like okay. It makes sense. So we'll see where they are in the offseason, but just you know, going back, the... It, it it just it just sucks because I feel as if for this particular this particular Cubs era, you know, watching again, watching like, you know, one of my favorite memories were watching these guys in the AFL. It's like I remember in a stadium of fifty player or fifty fans, it's like nine thirty at night, you have Chris Bryant hitting oppo bombs in in uh, Arizona Spring Training Complex, and Jed Hoyer is like two rows behind me in a, in a jacket, and no one's around. It's like though, like those are the memories. I feel as if, in a way, that being able to experience the development and their progress, and you know, growing those types of uh, you know relationships with people in the game, it's like I don't know. I feel you're not gonna you're not gonna get that in this type of era of sports. So in that sense, it's extremely sad, man. Like I, I, I don't know. And I remember too, <laughs> like in 2012 when this is way back then, but they had an intra squad game, and uh, first time I got to see Javi play, and this was with the era of seeing you know like Brett Jackson and and those guys, and uh, you know Jorge Soler. That was his first time. I saw him in Mesa, and this is again. I think this is back in Ho Camp before they moved uh, onto their current complex of Sloan. And I got kicked out, like by the uh, front office uh, area. There's only like 50 fans here. But I was sitting next to Theo and Jason and Jed, and I think um, you know some of the other guys as well. I got kicked out, but just being right next to Javi and seeing him rip a single to the opposite field, and then that like back then that Gary Sheffield like batting stance. It's just it's 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 sad in that sense that that's that's over. I think we'll have a rational side discussion to this, and I think hearing Jed talk about the 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 moves in a post game today and some of that you heard during the game against the Nationals, like you can see where Jed's coming from, and I, I get it. It's 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 hard to differentiate the process that led us here versus that which we've seen from Jed today in describing the logic behind these trades. But um, at the I guess at the end of it, there's still a bright future with this team. They're healthy in terms of uh, having payroll flexibility and, and, and prospect currency, as Jed said, and having some really talented players in the system and still being led by Wilson and Kyle Hendricks and having guys like Brendan Davis in the system. And now all the uh, prospects they were able to acquire, many of which are going to slot in the top 15 of their organization. And and there, there's, there's reason to be optimistic it's just you thought that that would happen in concert with keeping at least one of these guys. That's the thing. Right. And yeah. it, I never in my mind thought that they would be mutually exclusive. I thought this could be a reality while keeping Rizzo or you know and KB and still being able to develop. And that just speaks to the failures that we've seen from... McLeod and the scouting development to drafting and strategy and you know all of that from 2017 through 2019 that ultimately led to McLeod's departure from the scouting director job that brought in Kantrovitz. So it's it's it's, it's an accumulation of feelings that uh, you know at least in the current moment it sucks, but 
I think there's still a possibility for a quick turnaround, maybe as soon as next year, but to what degree that's realistic, we'll find out in the next few months. Right. And I, I think, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head here. We we reached a point where it was clear that this was kind of the direction they were going to take and what Jed wanted to do. But it it's, it's very disappointing, uh, of course, to not, like you said, have ended up in a place where you could have bridged a gap to a new era and, and sort of kept the winning train going with one or more of these guys being involved in that fold. And there's a lot of mistakes that have been made, um, you know, on the part of Theo, Jed, Tom Ricketts, um, the development of some of these players and just their own failings on the field and not, you know, living up to what they were expected to be or things like that. Um, So there's a lot that goes into this, right? Um, But it is disappointing nonetheless that the point we have reached is that the decision was, we're done, we're moving on, we're starting over, basically, as opposed to some sort of continuous flow, right? Which is, you know, again, as I've said many times, kind of what was promised to us um, when the first rebuild was taking place, but ultimately not what happened. Um, So I wanted to read this quote from uh, Sahadev Sharma, because I thought it was a a good way to just sort of sum things up uh, from someone on the outside looking in, right? In the sense that Sahadev is not a Cubs fan, but he has observed all of this for many years. And he just said, um, an insane 24 hours. Cubs fans are feeling a lot. I have upset ones in my house. People around the game think the Cubs did well at the deadline as a whole. But I get it. It doesn't matter now for most of you. End of an era, one that brought a lot of happiness to fans, so you deserve to blow off some some steam. And I thought that was a, a sort of succinct way of explaining all of this. When you read from people at, at Fangraphs to The Athletic to guys like Jeff Passan, the national writers, the general consensus seems to be that at the deadline as a whole, you know, starting with Jock Peterson, I guess, and ending here, the Cubs did well. Jed Hoyer did a lot. He acquired a lot. And again, we'll break down some of this individually, but the system by and large, has ended up in a much, much better place, you know, even dating back to what they added when they traded you Darvish, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, that's not what a lot of us are always interested in, right? We get attached to these players. We love these players. And we love the the memories they provide and, and the, the people that they are. And so it's not always easy uh, to sit here and go, oh, well, you know, the Cubs system moved up to eighth on the Fangraphs pipeline leaderboard, right? Like, it's, that's not what a lot of people are, that's not, that's not specifically the reason that a lot of people watch sports, right? For development and future value and things like that. And of course, all of that goes into fielding this next team that you fall in love with. But that's, that's just not the predominant feature when you move guys like Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo in, in, in thinking about that and, you know, thinking about where the system is at and uh, these prospects and stuff like that. So I thought that was a good way um, to sort of summarize things. But um, what I want to do now is, is at least talk about Javi and KB. And, and I, don't, I don't want to, um, you know, forget about someone like Kimbrell who has been lights out. For, for this team um, 
for the back end of 2020 and, you know, obviously in 2021 here. Uh, but we got to focus on the guys that we focus, we got to focus on. Right. Um, and, you know, kind of like Rizzo, I, the, the predominant thought that, that comes to mind for me about Javi and KB is, is just one of gratitude, man. You know, these guys have been in the organization for a long time. These are two guys um, who, unlike Rizzo, you know, were both drafted by the Cubs. These guys don't know any anything else. When KB suits up for San Francisco and Javi suits up uh, to play with, uh, you know, Lindor eventually with the Mets, that's a new world for them. Javi was drafted in 2011 by Jim Hendry and the Chicago Cubs, you know, like that's how, that's how far he goes back uh, with the Chicago Cubs. He played every level in this organization. He grew up as a player and a human being as a Chicago Cub. And the thing that sticks out for me, like Rizzo, is just what they've done for me as a person and a fan and all of us as fans. Um, I was looking through, you know, some of the the pictures today. I didn't want to do this when they when they traded Rizzo because I guess I was stupidly, clownishly, right? Is clownishly a word? A- anyway, We're it going, is now. Yeah, it is now. Um, Anything goes you know, I, I Yeah, I, I was stupidly hoping that, you know, somebody would survive and we wouldn't have to sort of uh, eulogize the core in the way that we are now. Um, but, you know, just looking at pictures, um, you know, of being with some, uh, you know, being with my best friend at, uh, the games in 2015 when they beat the Cardinals and headed to that series with the Mets, um, in 2016, being able to watch a, a World Series game, with my mom, watch a World Series game with my dad, uh, go to a World Series game with my grandma, who was a Cubs season ticket holder back in the 1960s. Um, it's it just is a reminder of like you know these guys helped provide the the moments of my life, man. And um, I'm only 30. I know some of you listening are younger or older, but I I I owe so much to these three guys and not just these three guys of course um but so much of that was due in large part to these three men and i i don't know how to properly express that or, or properly thank them for that but mm-hmm. looking back on it you know looking back on on the photos of the parade and the the chalk wall on the bricks at Wrigley Field and all of the emotion that was associated with that and people's families and generations of of cubs memories and and cubs fandom it, it it's just so much the the responsibility of of these three guys and uh it's it's hard to say goodbye to that, um, but you know you just want to make sure you're taking the the proper time to express that gratitude because these guys just mean the world to this organization, to this fan base, and to this city. And you know you kind of feel that when listening to them listening to them talk. Yeah. That that sort of be, seems to be one of the things that all of them mention is just uh, how special the fans are, how special the connection is, and. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a tough day, Brendan, in, in saying goodbye to these guys. They One they just have done uh, so much for us that we always dreamed about, and uh, it's it's hard to see them go. In a weird way, this thought just came to me, and uh, you know what is this now the fifth fifth shot of tequila in the past hour. We'll see, but uh, you know this will never we will never have to do this again. You know, saying goodbye to the team that you know broke that World Series drought. We'll never have to do it again. So in a weird way, that that's that's kind of nice. 
but the amount of gratitude towards this court should never go away. Even even during the rough times in the past two years, I mean, I'm thinking back to you know 2015, 2016. It's you know my 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 first Cubs playoff game was at Wrigley, um, you know, 2016 with with you, Corey. And I remember like. Like I always told myself I couldn't go to those Wrigley games just because I would be, you know, an emotional mess. But just seeing, you know, like Rizzo out there and, and Javi have that series against the Dodgers and watching the Wrigley fans during the playoff run and seeing the same thing in Dodger Stadium. I know you share the same memory, but after game five of the NLCS in 2016, Javi's reaction to all the Cubs fans behind uh, the away dugout chanting Javi, Javi, after he had that you know bases clearing uh, double to go up eight to one in that game five. It's like those are memories that are never going to way going away, and regardless of where their careers end up going, it's you know those memories last forever, and you're not going to get those again. So the amount of gratitude you have for their work ethic, and especially since we're talking about it. You know, even Avi, it's, we've had so many discussions over the years, even dating back to like 2017 and 2016 and a little bit of 2015, even even though they're not in the archives, of deciding does it make more sense to keep Jorge Soler or Javi Baez? And, you know, those discussions back then were based on a Javi Baez that's very different than today and the amount of adjustments and changes he's made to his game is is just exemplified by his work ethic and ah it's it 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 sucks i mean we've seen these guys change so much from rizzo and you know crowding the plate and lowering his hands and chris bryant and adjusting against high fastballs and talking to his hitting coach and his dad for years and you know javi buys and his open stance and his two-strike approach and his ability to combat two-strike counts in 2016 it's like the list goes on and on and that's I know they want to succeed. I know they want to, of course, try to get to a point where you make a lot of money, but there still takes a lot of pride and work ethic to get into that point. And for that, you just have to be incredibly grateful no matter what, if you think they deserve or not deserve, but if you think they need to be part of this next era of Cubs baseball or not, is you cannot deny their work ethic and they're just contributions to fan bases and fan acquisition and we talked about it last episode but I think that's I think that's an unquantifiable effect from this core is you just gained quite literally probably you know thousands dozens hundreds of thousands of young Cubs fans solely because they right. enjoyed Javi Baez's tags and and Anthony Rizzo's walk-up music and Chris Bryant's game five nine World Series home run and game six leading off in the six in the first inning against Trevor and uh, I mean it's just I don't know man it's it it's it's a lot of emotions a lot of words but uh you're not gonna you're not going to get a more influential Cubs team in your fans life and uh at the very least when it's 2040 and these guys are brought back out to Wrigley to throw out the first pitch like those memories are never going to go away Right. I, you know, we, we hopefully will see other championship teams, other runs of sustained success, but that nothing will ever compare to 2016. Uh, I mean, I guess unless the organization goes another hundred years without winning, but Whatever. luckily we'll all be dead. Yeah. If that thank happens. God. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, look, like you probably traded, if you were, if you were estimating, right, you probably just traded in the last two days or in the last day, I guess it was like a 24 hour span. Um, 90% (laughs) of the jerseys that people wear to the games. Yeah, at least. Right. At least. I mean, that seems even low somehow, almost like you don't, you don't see like a a large smattering of like Hendricks jerseys or things like that. Ortega now in center field. Yeah. In the stands, right? Like it's these three guys. So, you know, you're right. And, and I, I, you know, that's one of those things that is, uh, from a business perspective, an interesting gamble that the Cubs are making. Um, you know, you're just removing a, a lot of the heart from this team. But specific, you know, let like let's take a moment on each of these guys specifically, and then we'll kind of look at what Jed Hoyer said. Um, I don't know that we'll ever see another player like Javi Baez. Um, he's so unique in almost every aspect of his game, and some of that uniqueness is frustrating at times in terms of his like plate discipline or, or things like that. But even in the stuff that's frustrating, it's somehow exciting at the same time, right? Like thinking about all those times that you've seen him hit a home run on a pitch that is in the dirt at his shoes, right? And just sort of marveling <laughs> yeah. at the, the the skill that it takes to uh, hit a pitch like that, you know, 400 feet, right? But beyond that, you know, the obvious, he, I have never watched the a more exciting and like intuition based baseball player and you know it's very easy and I think cliche at this point to say something like they don't call him El Mago for nothing uh but you just saw that so routinely um I think of those those you know base hits up the middle uh, that he turns into doubles because he just notices that the center fielder, and remember he did this to Lorenzo Cain, I think in Milwaukee a couple times, where he just notices that they're not <laughs> yeah. they're not coming in on the ball aggressively enough and he's going to test them and turn a just a simple base knock up the middle into a double somehow. And the amount of times that we've seen him turn going from first to third into scoring a run, multiple times seeing somebody steal home which I mean even sounds insane to say right we didn't even see him do that once (laughs) like we saw him do that multiple times we saw him do that in a in a playoff game um there there's just something about him that is so special and unique and and I don't know that we'll ever see something like that again because he's just uh one of those guys that is so unique and and there really is like only one Javi Baez like nobody else plays the game like him nobody has the batted ball profile the plate discipline profile just nobody does it the way that he does and uh you know I I always like to give some credit to Joe Madden for that because Joe was a big believer in, and he said this all the time, I'm not going to coach the aggressiveness out of Javi Baez. I'm not Mm. going to punish him for running into an out because he's trying to take an extra base or the things that he would do. And I think that that really, you know, Javi deserves the credit for just being himself. Joe Madden reference. Look, look at you. Well, we're talking about, you know, the core, I guess. So it's, I'm going to put my Joe Madden jersey on right now. Yeah. (laughs) 
but you know it 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 Javi is Javi and he deserves the credit for being the player that he is but I I think the Cubs and Joe Madden allowing that to flourish is is part of the reason that you know he's the the player that he is today and is is has become as as valuable as he is um but you know of course like I I think in just trying to point out some you know significant memories um one there's only one player I think in baseball probably in baseball history I don't remember ever in my life and I'm I imagine this is true nobody talked about tagging and how exciting it could be before Javi Baez. It's like almost <laughs> something that he invented, even though he obviously didn't hey, invent and tagging. And you were the uh, first montage Javi yes. tag creator, Corey. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a little but, help from, from my end, too, I will say. Yes, okay, thank of you. course. Yes. We're a team. We are? Uh, yes. We are a team, and we will not be broken up by Jed no. Hoyer, all right? No. You, you have our word on that. <laughs> um, unless he offers me enough money. We'll see no, here. No. Um, like that 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 almost to me is the the best way to describe Javi Baez right how would you describe Javi Baez to someone that that doesn't know who he is but understands the game of baseball and I think one of the best ways to do it was he makes tagging exciting Mm. he can make the entire internet talk about putting a tag down at second base and go nuts for it and that's just such a that that's just not something that you hear about anybody else. And I think it really explains who he is and the way he plays the game. Um, but the 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 first thing you know that jumps out to me. I mean, first of all, is home run off of John Lackey in 2015 oh, against the Cardinals. Amazing, electric yep. moment at Wrigley. Field. You were at that I mean, game, one Corey. One of the loudest. Yeah. yeah, one of the loudest I've ever experienced it at Wrigley Field. A completely ab- absurd moment after Jason Hamill had kept the inning going. <laughs> right. Just insane. Insanity at Wrigley Field, like bedlam, right? Um, and then, of course, you know, the home run off of Johnny Cueto in, in game one against the Giants. I Whenever Brendan and I talk about that, whenever I talk about 2016 with anybody, there's such a strong argument to be made that that's the most important home run in Cubs history. Um, I don't know if I land on it. You know, we've debated this before, but that series is really close when you go back and look at it. And had they had to play a game five, Cueto versus Lester again, the two of them dueled each time they faced. And that was going to be tight. And that series was tight, right? And Javi doesn't hit that home run into the wind, into the basket. I don't know what tonight's conversation looks like. Right. And I, I don't know what that playoff year looks like. I don't know what this whole thing. I mean, even Javi's like. NODS as a whole, right? Game four, based right, up yeah. the middle, 0 2 counts against Strickland. You know, Javi in the NLCS stealing home, as you said, Corey, all the moments he had, the double plays. The I mean, you saw him do things in the playoffs that you see video games do. You don't see that in the playoffs. That's the remarkable thing about Javi. It's. Ah, man, it's cr- I don't know. It's, it's crazy to even think about it, right? It's like I never even I haven't thought about that playoff run with Javi in particular um, until we talk about this. But it's yeah, and even even here's the thing though, Corey. Even him going into that playoff series, like he was not their second baseman that year, right? right. <laughs> That's the crazy thing is he adjusted quite literally in that playoff run. He was playing third base. They put KB out in the outfield, you know. 
Schwarber was your right fielder in the wildcard game in 2015. It's these these guys were able to adjust and be put in uncomfortable situations when Madden snapped his fingers and for years. And, and again, I I keep saying this, but I I don't want it, not that you guys would forget it, but like imagine doing that not just at at the MLB level, not just in the playoffs, not all that other stuff. For the Chicago Cubs when they haven't won a World Series in a hundred and eight years, it's like game. It's insane. Yeah, it, it, you that is that is performing on the highest yeah. of high levels. I mean, Corey, it is absurd to think that these guys were doing stuff like that. Yeah. And and that's such a good point that you brought up that in some of these playoffs, Javi was not even looked at as the starting player at these positions. He's asked to do a million things, and he kills it. In the most pressure-filled situation you could possibly create for a professional baseball player. Yeah, man. I mean, like that game one against the Dodgers. You know, he has that little pop-up, I believe it was in the first inning, game one. And he just, you know, breaks it down to a double, Corey. Gets to third base, then he steals home, Corey. He, he, he got that series going after he quite literally, in the ninth inning, the game before in San Fran, won the game. After he won game one in the NLDS of that series against the Giants, the contributions are unbelievable. And for years, you know, 2003, 2007, 2008, you know, you and I, during those transformative years of our Cubs fandom, we just wanted them to survive. That's it. Just want them to not make those types of errors in common situations. You just wanted like, you know, Rich Harden to go six innings. Like, please God, go six innings. Right, and to see Javi go out there and do all of these things you don't even see during the regular season, you don't even see during like amateur baseball against the Dodgers, against the Giants, who just won three World Series in that stretch. Unbelievable what that right. guy was able to do. The uh, the double play he turns where he drops yeah, the ball man. against the Dodgers. It's just you know, again, like there, there, there's, there's a lot of little ways. You know, Javi's one of those players where you can show someone a lot of very small individual clips that would tell you right away who he is as a baseball player. Yeah. You know? And and that's that's another one. The drop double play. Um, just some of the 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 swim move slides, the tags, the things like that. Like you would only have to watch five seconds of Javi playing baseball and you would understand like oh okay no I get it like this guy has some sort of special innate ability that relates to the game of baseball um that other people just don't have yeah and um I mean I love a celebration too it's like you know I can't dance I just play baseball <laughs> yeah and, I always bring know, that up before we but uh, again, you know, kind of like Rizzo, I mean, we could we could go on these guys for a long time, but I, I do want to get to uh, KB. Oh, my God. And again, you know, talk a little bit about what Jed Hoyer said. And, you know, especially perhaps in this offseason, you know, there's always time to revisit Too much time. Uh, this that's, the, team that's the problem. And, yeah. But um, the, the, la- the last thing I want to say about Javi and – you know, this, I think this is true. You know, Wilson Contreras gives off this vibe as well is, um, Javi's just one of those guys who he would die on that field for the Chicago Cubs. And I imagine he'll have the same attitude for the New York Mets for two months and wherever he goes next. Um, 
in the off season, you just you just have to respect those guys, and it, and it's not often that you you have those guys, and and that's not to call into question the devotion or commitment that any of the other players have, um, but Javi was just one of those guys that you knew blood, sweat, and tears every day for the team he's playing for, for the Chicago Cubs. Whatever it took, he was going to do it. And you, you just have to respect um, players like that and, and guys that have that attitude. Um, so that that's what I've got on Javi. You know, he's also one of those guys. The, Javi maybe in particular is, I, I keep saying this, but it's hard to eloquently like you know, explain these things and, and properly do justice to these things. But Javi was such a special and specific player that it feels almost exceedingly difficult. Um, I don't know what was the hardest for me, Brendan. I, I think it was Rizzo in a way. Um, but as I'm gearing myself up to do this, um, Chris Bryant not being a Chicago Cub anymore is really difficult. Um KB was the highest possible outcome for drafting and developing a player, right? He was the 99th percentile outcome on that. And the Cubs would be absurdly lucky, absurdly, to have a single player in their system right now in the group that they just acquired, even sniff the path that KB went on. Um, that's how high that outcome was. I remember so many times, you guys, if you have been listening to this podcast for years, I can't even imagine how many times I've read the stat. Um, and it's obviously changed, you know, in the last year or so with COVID and all that other stuff. But how since 2015, when he broke in, the only two people, you guys can probably recite this, the only two players that had a higher wins above replacement than Chris Bryant were Mookie Betts and Mike Trout. And it was that way for years. That's how good he was. And to draft someone in the first round, develop them in your system, and have them come up and immediately win the Rookie of the Year, win an MVP, win the World Series, go to several all-star games, all while being just an an amazing human being, right? You never heard, we heard KB literally, I think, swear one time, and it was on one of those like Zoom post-game calls in, in 2020, right? He was the consummate professional on the field. He was a model citizen and model representative of the Chicago Cubs, off the field, in his demeanor, how he carried himself. Um, It's, he is exactly what every MLB front office executive dreams of when they draft a player. And I would, I would say most times you don't even dream that big, right? To draft a player and have them succeed at the level that Chris Bryant did is such an absurd successful outcome. Um, Again, I don't know what hits me the hardest, but sitting here and knowing uh, that uh, Christopher Lee Bryant is not with this organization any longer is 
particularly hitting me hard yeah, uh, yeah. at this moment. Yeah, well, he came up in 2015 and uh, made sub-70% contact, around 67% contact, and then all of a sudden, in two years, goes up to 77% contact. Went from the bottom 10th percentile all the way up into the better 80th percentile of contact, just like that. And for a slugger that was projected to strike out so much, he turned into one of the most well-rounded players in professional baseball offensively. And then throughout the time, he (laughs) became one of the most flexible players defensively concluding with playing at shortstop in one of his final games as a Cub uh, approaching free agency. That's Chris Bryant's skill set. He was an incredible base runner, contributed to crucial plays in the World Series, going from you know first to home on Rizzo extra base hits, tagging up on pop flies to the shortstop quite literally to add insurance runs to uh, crucial games in the World Series there. And all of a sudden... You know, those questions that we all talked about in 2014, 2013, that Scouts talked about, those were uh, a debate of the past. They were no longer, and they kind of went under the radar, I I, I think. And, you know, seeing these guys adjust uh, through the years, and in some cases, we've learned that a lot of these players can't adjust Um and we're seeing that now and some for some of these players right now. But but Chris Bryant was never one of them. It was always inevitable that he would just figure it out. And he did that even this year when he had that, that, that slump in June, came back in July and tore it up before he was dealt. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you see Chris Bryant in the, in the Giants uniform. You see Rizzo go yard in the Yankees uniform tonight. You're going to see Lindor and Baez in the Mets uniform. Um you know, Schwarber, <laughs> Schwarber's in a Red Sox uniform. It's uh, it's surreal. We're one year removed from winning a, a, a division, and granted, a shortened make-believe season that the Dodgers ended up winning that spring training World Series. But uh, you know, it's still it's still surreal. No matter how much mental energy you give to expecting that Chris Bryant's going to be traded and as you said when we opened this podcast you know we had years of of thinking about this it's still it's still sad to see it's sad to see bryant in tears in the dugouts with a phone in his hand getting that that video man i mean come on yeah and you know the thing is too Corey, is like i don't know is the narrative behind kb not wanting to return to the cubs that was such utter nonsense for years and um you know, we have a good relationship with his, you know, with his dad and, you know, Evan Allman is, is close with his dad and, uh, you know, you've had conversations with him and everything. It's, 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 it's been anything but that. And it's unfortunate yeah. that uh, Cub fans don't get to hear about that. They don't get to hear about the human being that's Chris Bryant. And well, we've tried. We've tried, but at the same... If you've listened to this podcast, we tried to tell you a million yeah. times that Chris wanted to stay here. Yeah, but that it's that hard. always the case. It's hard to communicate the validity of those opinions when you're hearing it firsthand. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't expect people to trust us. Yeah, either. I mean, like... But um, just thinking of, you know, kind of like we did specific moments, I I have to tell this story. I'll tell it again. But I it it, it truly when I look back on all of these games um, and being a, you know, fortunate enough to go to so many, um, 
This one stands out, it always will, as one of the most significant nights of this entire process, and that, of course, is the walk-off home run against the Rockies in 2015. Yeah. And that that just... <sighs> They, they get swept by the Phillies, who I believe were one of the worst teams in the league at the time. They get no hit by Cole Hamels. And then, I, I if I'm remembering correctly, Jason Mott blows a late lead um, for the, you know in the Cubs that bullpen. Guy. That guy sucked, Corey. Oh, fastballs nonstop. That's all he threw. Yeah, we're not we're not big fans of guys that only throw one pitch. One pitch. Uh, mostly, you know, on this podcast. Um, but he... It, it just, it had that feel of, no one went into that 2015 season with the expectations that they were, I don't know, you know, that they were even going to make the playoffs. Just wanted it to be interesting. We were getting there. We were building toward something with this group, right? And as those early months kind of go along, you're thinking, okay, like they're playing well. This is interesting. This is getting more interesting. Like, okay, now we're kind of deep into this season. Like, maybe we should start expecting this because we're you know we're this far like why not right and the series with the Phillies and 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 blowing that late lead had had that kind of feeling of like okay you know balloon is bursting right here comes the air out of the balloon it was fun but this is gonna you know this is gonna bring this all crashing down because this is just not a good stretch and I I remember being at that game and when KB came to the plate uh, with, you know, a runner on and just thinking he has to hit a home run. They have to win this game because otherwise this is just going to tailspin. It's going to go the wrong direction. You know, no one was really expecting this. The The Cardinals were really good in that season. You know, they end up winning over a hundred games. So you're just thinking, eh, you know, this is kind of that moment where it all deflates. And, um, he does. It's a, a towering home run. It's one of Len Casper's best calls oh, um, in Len. his Cubs career. It'll it'll be one of Len's best calls in his entire career. Um, I don't know if anything ever tops the Aramis Ramirez one, but <laughs> that's, uh, that's a discussion for a separate day. But um, it just had that feeling of it. It kind of set that whole thing off, right? It 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 kicked the rest of that 2015 season into gear. Uh, that leads us to them winning the wild card game uh, on the back of Arietta and um, you know even you know beating the Cardinals in the NLDS, one of the just ultimately like the best series um, and some of the best nights I think of all of our lives was were those games at Wrigley Field. Um, but you know then you just you just you think about how important that walk off against the Rockies was, and then you kind of contextualize it with how important that season ends up being, right? Like where would they have been in 2016 if they don't experience that sweep at the hands of the New York Mets, right? Like you just think about how important and transformative that experience was going into 2016 from uh, an experience standpoint, from a, a momentum standpoint, from just sort of developing that hunger and 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 the the feeling of of losing in the NLCS and and how quickly that accelerates all of that for a group of mostly twenty three and twenty four year olds, right? And for me, it's it's obviously Jake Arrieta in particular, like plays such a huge role in that twenty fifteen year, but. 
I I will always believe, I will go to my grave believing that if KB doesn't hit that home run, that year doesn't play out the same way. I don't know how 2016 goes. I don't know how 2017 goes as a result, right? But I I just think that that, that path was rewritten on that home run uh, against the Rockies. And so that that's always the KB moment that will all, you know, sort of always be tops for me, I think. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you always, you always bring that up. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm speechless. It's just like, how do you even do it justice, right? Like you have an hour to talk about this and we don't really have an hour. We'll have, you know, multiple episodes, but, uh, you know, you think of all the instances that Chris Bryant contributed to this team and, Again, remember the narrative of him not being clutch, Corey? Remember that? Remember right, the joke, that? yeah. And he had a... Go rewatch <laughs> the entirety of the 2016 playoffs. I mean, what's a loss in that, and of no fault of his own, is that game three, game tying home run in the ninth inning when they were down 5-3, ties it up, 5-5, home run above the car, the wild car wash thing in left field in San Francisco where, ironically, he's ended up right now. But, like... That goes unnoticed, and the Trevor Bowery home run in Game Five to get the Cubs going, then to lead off the game in Game Six. It's like, give me a break, guys. It's I don't know. He's even talking about his frustrating given some of the narratives, and you know it affected him. That's the worst part about this is you know that those rare voices sometimes sometimes the loudest voices are the rarest ones, and most of the times that's the case. But yeah. I, I I I do think that. Uh, him being traded at least at least makes those smaller voices louder and I I, I feel as if Chris Bryant going to San Fran is gonna just make him appreciate and recognize oh, no, there there's no question I mean I, I think that there are a lot of people and I think this is true of of Javi as well you know he's had his his share of you know pretty loud detractors yeah. um but even for Chris you know, again, even for Chris though Corey it's like he's, yes, he's dealt uh, no, with that for years man I no mean, question the re- like the reason, there yeah. there is there is going to be and you know perhaps these are just the type of people that won't ever realize this but there there will be there should be a good portion of this fan base that will rue the day that Chris Bryant was traded from the Chicago Cubs, and they will regret that they did not appreciate how good he was, and and the fact that he was doing it as a Chicago Cub. Whether whether they figure that out or not, they should because they didn't appreciate it. They took it for granted, and it's not here anymore. So it, you, you're going to figure it out one way or the other. But. Um, you know, another one more from from KB, and and you alluded to it, but you know, again, like when you have that discussion of what's the most important home run in Chicago Cubs history, the home run in Game Five off of Trevor Bauer to tie that game is has to be in the discussion. Um, I mean, that's the most concerned with, I've ever been as a fan. Of my yeah, I mean, life with with that moment. The, the Cubs trailing three one in the World that, Series, that bullpen is warm enough for the Cleveland. The bullpen is looming. <laughs> And at at the point in the game that the home run comes, Francona's probably minutes from deploying Andrew Miller and getting that whole process started. And from what we now, obviously in game seven, uh, the bullpen was not um, infallible. They won that game. Up until that point. The Cubs won that that game. That was a death notice if, if the bullpen got in the game. So it, it, it was one, you know, again, one of those moments where you just sort of had that feeling of, 
somebody has to do something quick. It You cannot let this go to the Cleveland bullpen with them having a lead because this is going to end here at Wrigley Field tonight. And, you know, that's, that's one of those things, too, that um, there's more that goes on in that game, and it's not just Chris, but for, for that game in particular, Chris Bryant, in, in hitting that home run, plays such a large part in giving us all uh, the ability to witness them win a World Series game at Wrigley Field, which they had not done in the two previous attempts in Game uh, 3 and Game 4. And I was at that game that night with my dad in, in the seats that I have. Uh, my mom and my grandmother were sitting down the left field line uh, together. And to be able to witness that, the amount of games that I've gone to with those people, um, the amount of tears that I've shed watching this team, the amount of joy that I've experienced watching uh, this team with those members of my family, to be able to witness them win a game in the World <laughs> Series at Wrigley Field. I, I mean, a dream, man. And Chris Bryant doesn't hit that home run. I don't know if any of that happens. Um, you know, like you you already alluded to, he, he starts game six with a home run. He uh, contributes in game seven. Um, he's he's so close. It ends up being, you know, the, the Amora sack fly, but he's so close to hitting uh, a go-ahead home run, which uh, would have been amazing. But, you know, they win the game. So uh, whatever. But um, yeah, that's, that's Chris Bryant, man. Um, a very, very special player um, that, you know, again, like is, is just such a high percentile outcome of drafting and developing a, a player and a human being, as we've, you know, seen um, with many organizations and, and the Cubs themselves, you know, that's, that's also part of it, right, is, is who, the, who the man grows into and, and, and becomes on and off the field. And Chris just excelled in, in every aspect of this. And um, I'm very, very sad uh, that, that he's not going to be a Chicago Cub um, any longer. But um, that, I think, is, is, you know, kind of just looking at those two guys in particular. Um, so I, I want to, before we, we sign off here, um, you know, we might end up running a little long here, but I, I do want to touch just on a little bit of what Jed Hoyer said. So this is a, a kind of a longer quote, um, but I want to read the whole thing. If, if you go to, I, I, I haven't checked this, but Marquis aired uh, Cole Wright talking to Jed Hoyer. It's a pretty lengthy conversation. I, I would assume that those videos are available on Marquis' website. Um, but I, I do want to read this one particular quote, so bear with me for a second. It's, it's a longer one, but I, I think it provides a lot of context to what we've been talking about. So Jed said today, quote, the fact that we could not escape is that we're a force place team. We lost 11 in a row and the Brewers took off on us. With that happening, I think you don't let a crisis go to waste. We did everything we could today and over the last week to try to reset this organization and to try to make the best decisions possible. When you look at it, of the players we traded, I think we had multiple years of control on one guy. The players we traded away, we controlled for two more months. The fact of the matter is, two months from now, on October 1st, we were going to finish 
finish in second or third or fourth place, and all those players were going to be free agents. So to me, the logical right thing to do in that moment is to trade those two months away, let them go play for a winning team, and acquire a lot of talent. There's nothing that's stopping us at all from negotiating with any of those players this winter. The door has not been closed on any of those guys, and I've told every one of those guys that when we when we talked. We didn't close any doors on those players, but certainly Chris Bryant deserves to be playing in San Francisco in a pennant race, and Anthony in New York, and Javi in New York, and Craig Kimbrell in Chicago. Those players deserve to be playing in pennant races elsewhere. They're great players, and the door is not shut in any way. But we did everything we could to take that asset that was about to expire and make the best of it. So some of the stuff in that quote we alluded to on the last episode. I think, Brendan, you and I talked um, about how I, you know, understood that Anthony wanted to go down with the ship, but I figured in time he would appreciate being able to do what he's doing in New York in a, in a better situation um, than the Cubs are in right now. And and I, I do agree. I, I'm sure that Jed feels this way. These players do deserve to be in playoff races and on the big stage and having a chance to win another championship, which was not going to be the case um, here in Chicago. And we can, we have, we will sort of debate how we got here. And again, you know, kind of like Brendan said at the beginning, that you ended up at this point where none of these guys are part of the plan going forward, which, you know, for a long time we've both believed is a mistake. But this is where you arrived. This is the direction that Jed chose to go in. And, you know, for my money, Brendan, I I only read one part of that, but I know you watched, um, you know, his whole interview with Cole Wright on Marquee. I'll say this. When you, when you talk the talk, right, you have to walk the walk. And we're, we haven't seen that yet from Jet. We're going to have to see that once the off season comes around and, you know, going into 2022 and, and, and what the action is behind these words. But I, I will say this, he sounds like somebody that has a pretty specific plan for what he wants to do. How he's going to go about it, whether he's able to execute it, remains to be seen. But you, to me, you don't come away from his interview and his comments with the impression of, this guy has no idea what he's doing. Or he doesn't have a, a plan for why he's made these decisions or why he targeted the players that he did and and things like that. He sounds like there is a pretty specific vision for what all of this is going to lead to. Well, there's so many so many future moves that are going to really shape the future of, of this team, but I think if you watch that Zoom presser I guess if you want to call it that, really cool, right? Interviewing him, as you said there, Corey. But I don't know. We've seen a lot of interviews by Jed, and maybe they're good at it. Maybe they're fooling all of us. But he did say that to, to for, for for better, really, that his career is tied to Anthony Rizzo, and he's been involved in quite literally every trade in that guy's career, and those moves have defined his career. So. When he says all of this, and I think just the facial reactions and the his entire, I guess, um, affect, like I, you know, I do believe that the conversations they had were were sincere. There was a moment where 
I thought it was noteworthy, but he said essentially there were two conversations with, with Rizzo. Of course, you have the one where you let him know he's traded, and then there's a second one where you talk with him later that night. And I thought that was interesting because he said, you know, that was a lengthy conversation at night, and then that was followed up by uh, saying he talked to Javi the next day, and of course, Chris and everything. But, uh, you know, he did demonstratively uh, suggest the doors are not closed. And he used that exact, that exact metaphor, the doors are not closed. So whether that means they are seriously engaging and uh, vying for their contracts with the highest bidders to come back for the Cubs, or rather they're just going to wait and see out the market and try to scoop in at a lower than expected rate, who knows, right? But at least in the current moment, there is some type of hope that they're going to try to be competitive in 2022. And it's not to say, yeah, I want back every single one of these players. I'm not going to be that naive. My only hope is that they're trying to be competitive next year. And when we look at the free agent market for first base, it's Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo or bust. I don't really see anyone else. And outside of trading for someone in a different organization, I don't see how you can compete if you don't have that lockdown guy in the middle of the order and really, if you look at the entire market, it's Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman, and Anthony Rizzo. And you have, of course, Nick Castellanos, but uh, you've seen the consistency of Chris Bryant and Rizzo over the years. Whereas for Castellanos, we love the guy, but I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we put him on the same tier as a Chris Bryant or, or Rizzo in terms of consistency throughout the better past of, of, the, of, the, of the decade there. So this is tough. Um, you know you're in trouble when you wake up in the morning and that's like your first thought is like ugh like ugh like Rizzo's gone what's gonna what's gonna happen next right. but I I I told you I mean I was terrified to look at my phone yeah I mean, I, and not when I when I woke up nothing had happened yet yeah. but I was just expecting to open my phone to you know what awful news am yeah. I am I waking up to today but I I do want to you know one other thing that was mentioned um, you know that Jed kind of said first of all he he did say uh today that they did circle back with each of these guys on uh you know sort of what the terms of an extension might look like um again you know if you're using the Rizzo one as kind of a point of reference I'm assuming that they were not offers that you would expect those guys to take but I did think it was interesting that Jed said that they did kind of touch base on that um you know, uh, to me, that's probably kind of one of those like, hey, are we still this far apart? Yes. Okay. Then this is what we have to do, right? Um, I know you mentioned, Brendan, hearing Jed say that, uh, you know, he spoke with Rizzo at length multiple times um, over the last night or so. And, you know, that kind of goes to what I said the other day. Um, and Jed said in his interview on Marquee, like, Jed put it in in no uncertain terms. He said, I don't, I think if there was one player that defined me as a baseball executive, it's Anthony Rizzo. He's traded for him multiple times, three different organizations. Um, So, you know, I I mentioned that yesterday, but it was just sort of uh, nice to hear Jed confirm that and, and, you know, kind of remind people like, look, I know you, you all think I'm a, I'm a, 
a sociopath today and I'm completely nuts and I just destroyed all of your <laughs> hopes and dreams, but like this is not easy for me too. Like I have a lot tied to these guys. And you know, Jed also mentioned that, you know, the the decorations in his house are champagne celebrations and parades and, and trophy celebrations. And so that that's what he wants to be doing. And I, again, I don't expect any any of you to want to hear it. I don't expect any of you to have confidence in Tom Ricketts to support those efforts in the way that we want him to based on, you know, some of the stuff that we've seen. But this is what we heard today. So I'm just reiterating it. But one thing that I like Jed mentioning um, and, uh, you know, that uh, Jesse Rogers tweeted was that um, he's mentioned several times over the months that he does not want this organization to be the Tigers, the Phillies, or the Giants after their lengthy playoff runs. And, you know, of course, some of you might be like, well, the Giants won three World Series and now they're back with those guys. Now, they've been awful for a few years here in in that kind of bridge period. And a lot of people are sort of unsure as to how Buster Posey and some of those guys are performing at this level right now. But in particular, Brendan, like the Phillies and the Tigers example is, you know, hearing that, especially like the Tigers, right? Like the Tigers had such a run. They were so talented. They never won it. They never won the World Series. And they've just been so awful for years since then. And to hear Jed at least point to a specific thing, something we can kind of sink our teeth into and say, this is what he's looking at as this is what I don't want to happen. That's kind of what I mean when you say, like, I I don't know how he's going to execute it, and he's got an awful lot of, you know, walking the walk, as I said, to back up the talking that he's done. So we'll see if he can do it. But I did like hearing him kind of allude to specific things and say, here is what I'm thinking, and this is what I'm trying to avoid, and that's why we're doing all of this. Yeah, I mean, I like that. You you said it a few minutes ago. It seems as if he has a plan going forward, and of course, like he has a plan going forward. But at least to be able to communicate that to fans in this moment, it seems relatively comforting to to a degree. And you look, and I've been doing this the entire day. You keep refreshing the FanGraph Scout board where you're seeing the live updated rankings of these prospects. You're like, all right. Well, you know, Rizzo returned the number two overall prospect in the Cubs system. We see Chris Bryant returning two guys of, of close there in the top 15. And Kimbrough, you got Nick Madrigal back, and he's going to slot in at second base with maybe Nico at shortstop or in, in the outfield next year. You can see that they're going to have so much flexibility that if they decide to attempt to compete in 2022, they have the means to do it. And it seems possible given some of the young guys they've they've acquired at the major league level at this point. And it's this Madrigal, you have um the return from Chafin with uh Boderer. You you have you have guys who potentially could be contributing to an immediate successful team. Now there's a lot of trades, acquisitions, moves, performances to evaluate in order to get to that point. And that's going to be the majority of our discussions for the next six months. Um but for now, it's hard to get over. It's hard to get over what we just saw, and it's going to take some time to do that. But at the very least, again, I have no choice 
I don't know if it's a healthy choice, but it's it's it's, it's I have no choice. I I I will be thinking that come November, we're going to be seeing rumors of bringing back bringing back Rizzo at uh, what I hope to be and I what I project to be a pretty team friendly price. Whatever that means to you, for me that means like eighty ninety ish million, and for his skill set, which is a 15-ish percent strikeout rate, a double-digit walk rate, 25, 30 homers a year, 95th plus percentile defense, and a uh, plate discipline portfolio that should age well despite some back injuries. Like, sign me up for that. And I think that's a realistic possibility given what we've heard. But again, we're in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath, and things do change. But in the current moment, <laughs> try to move on. And for me, that gives me some hope. Yeah. So um, I think that's what we have for you tonight. Like I said, we'll we'll circle back and we'll take a longer look at the return for all of these trades, where the system is at now, what the kind of direction is. You know, you obviously, as as you mentioned, Brendan, you get kind of some idea of that, right? Like you get someone like Madrigal, that's someone who's going to be starting for you next year. Um, so you, you kind of get some idea of, of, you know, where this is headed and things like that. But there's a lot of pieces to put together and, you know, just could not have done that justice. I, I don't, I, I, we didn't want to take, you know, 10 minutes to talk about these returns and like where things are now and, and, you know, what we're looking at going forward and, and things like that. Um, and even, you know, in the game on Friday night that the Cubs played, some interesting things. You know, you see a guy like Manny Rodriguez making his MLB debut, pumping 99, um, striking out two guys in a clean inning, really nice looking breaking ball. Like there's there's still stuff going on. I know everybody doesn't want to hear it, but still stuff going on. So um, wanted to focus on KB and Javi in particular tonight, focused on Anthony last night. And, um, you know, guys like just try to take a break for the weekend, I would say. Um, this is this is a lot. I, I think even as we assumed things were going to come to an end, I don't think any of us assumed it would all happen like this in basically a 24-hour period. It is a lot. And, you know, for sports fans, it was a lot at once. So process it however you feel like processing it. And for some people, this may be, uh, unfortunately, a transformative moment in their fandom. And it may um, decrease their emotional, financial, spiritual investment in the team. Um, and I, I wouldn't blame you or encourage you one way or the other. I think we all kind of experience this differently. Um, and, and that's okay, you know, but um, I think for Brendan and I, like, we're processing this in our own way, but we're still Cub fans, and, uh, you know, we're going to try to figure out what the best path forward here is and, and analyze what's going on with this team from here on out. So um, I will will end similarly to how I ended yesterday. Um, I, I will say, uh, as always, go Cubs now. Uh, thank you for listening to the Cubs related podcast and supporting us. Um, it's it's a weird time. We're all in this together. I I hope that you know what comes across mostly in episodes like this is that you know Brendan and I live and live and breathe this, y'all. Like there there is no show being put on. Brendan and I have been obsessive Cub fans our entire lives. We may not be as old as uh, some of you guys listening. We may not be as young, um, but 
we we're just two guys that watch every game have been watching every game since we were kids and obsess about this team and I I hope that that devotion and emotion comes across when we talk about things like this um but where I where I actually want to end is um you know once again just by I, I know that these guys don't listen to our podcast I know they won't ever hear it but I want you all to hear it and I want it to be out on our airwaves um this was the best period of Cubs baseball in our lives. This was the journey that we all dreamed of um, so many times as a kid getting off the bus from school or whatever. I envisioned what it would be like when the Cubs won the pennant at Wrigley Field or when they finally won the World Series. And to be able to live those moments um, was in incredible. It it was the stuff of a lifetime. I truly mean that. Um, And it was very much due in large part to three people that uh, have been traded from this organization in the last 24 hours, in Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Javier Baez. And uh, the only thing that I hope from their perspective is is that they are aware and appreciate how much uh, they mean to all of us, how much they mean to this city, and how much they will forever mean to the Chicago Cubs organization and all of us fans uh, for the lifetime of memories that they provided us and that they provided us with something we all dreamed of and that, at least for me, uh, was more special than I could have ever imagined it would be. And so we will go off the air tonight simply by saying to Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and Chris Bryant, thank you forever, and we love you. <laughs>